My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Hannah Ramat. Hannah has a fascinating background in psychology, psychotherapy, mindfulness, and human development. She's worked with folks of all ages over the past decade or more, uh, including work at Bellevue Hospital in New York, working with adults with severely persistent mental illness, as well as children at Albert Einstein's College of Medicine in their early childhood center, and everything in between. But most recently, she shifted her attention to work in particular with women who are struggling through life with too much worry and stress and who are dealing both with their own journey as human beings and to self-actualization and also with the unique challenges that women face in our dominant culture at this moment in history. So she just does remarkable work inviting people, women in particular, to step into their their bodies, to step into the pleasure that comes with being alive, to step into the pleasure of having partners of love and romance and sex, and what it is to step into the power of being a leader and to claiming space in the world, the space that men are so often given permission to claim without even thinking about it, without even wondering whether or not they have the credentials or, or the, the experience or what have you. If you care at all about a world where women thrive and a world where all of us, men, women, and everyone in between has access to more of our innate feminine energy and the capacities and sensitivities that come with that, then this conversation is for you. So let's get settled in <sighs> and hear what Hannah has for us. Hi, Hannah. Welcome. Hi, Andy. Great to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so fun. You're a guest, like several of my guests, who comes with a connection to a past guest. Those are all, always kind of my favorite because I interview someone and then they tell me someone else I've never heard of that I should interview. And, and to a T, they're always right. So I just trust my current guest to lead me to new guests. This one is really special, though, because your partner, Devin can't remember the episode, maybe, you know, 30 something came on a few months back and he said, Oh, you have to talk to my, to my wife, Hannah, you got to talk to my partner, Hannah. So, so this is my first like husband wife duo separated across time. I'm really excited to, to play with that. Cool. 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 Yeah. No, I was so honored that he mentioned me. It was exciting. Mm, it's very cool. I, uh, I don't know you super well. This is maybe our second time talking uh, together. So we had a chance to connect before. My sense, though, is that you are really leaning into work that that 
at least the way I'm hearing it from you, feels really core to who you are and what you want to offer the world and kind of what you're called to offer in the world. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, um, I've been a coach and a therapist for about 10 years. And so holding space for people has always been, you know, felt, felt natural to me. And of course it's a skill you develop as well, but it's, you know, I've been, that's been fairly easy and natural. And then it's been a journey of figuring out who is uh, my ideal client, right? Who's the person that I can help the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's gotten to the point of who, yes, who can I help? And that comes from what uniquely I have to offer, right? It's kind of what you're saying, like in my, in my depths, in my core, where's the place that I want to hang out in and be. And yeah. So I feel like I've, found it recently which is really exciting uh it's so cool yeah yeah i love for for those listening and they know that i interview a lot of coaches and and so maybe this is a bit sort of biased in the coaching field but i love that we get we are the kind of people who care about asking that question like where do i want to hang out in the most where am i called to hang out in the most and then Mm -hmm. and then inviting other people to come hang out with us is sort of like one one way that I think about what we do and invite them to kind of find if it's right for them to say, yeah, this is also where I want to hang out the most, right. To like be that invitation towards something deeper and more meaningful and more fun and all of it. And I think just showing what be living in the place of living our purposes, Mm. right. So like showing that through example, right. That as coaches, that we are called to do this work in whatever niche and whatever specific way you're doing it. Um, and that being giving permission to others to find that in their lives. Oh yeah. Like just, just by sheer fact that you're doing it for yeah. yourself. That's, that's an act of permission to others. Yeah, or say, exactly. Hey, mm, exactly. Mm, yeah. Like I found mm. it. And also work now becomes pleasure, right? I mean, th- there might be some still aspects of work that feel more worky to you, but overall, I mean, I know the way I feel in my work and other people I know that are really deeply purpose aligned is that work is like, fucking awesome like i love what i do and you know shining that out to people as well being like you can can find that too yeah oh that's awesome yeah really well said i feel that it almost there are almost days when i'm like how i can't believe i get paid to do this this is (laughs) weird that's weird (laughs) i totally get it i'm like oh but oh yeah like i have to like you know keep the lights on and keep everyone fed and all the stuff we have to do but like so fun that we get to do it in a way that is purposeful and meaningful yeah and i'm very proud to say that i've um negated this limiting belief or this negative belief that i inherited uh from my father whom i love very much but this is you know from his conditioning um and his enculturation but but the expression of you know work is work work is work. Work is not fun, <laughs> you know? And sometimes I'll even say it to be comforting if I'm like, oh, I have to go do this work. And he's like, well, you know, work is work. So you just have to go do it. And, you know, I have to suffer through it. But, and I, I and just the other day I said to him, I was like, I completely <laughs> contradicted him. <laughs> I just had to say, dad, no, I don't believe that actually. Um, my work is awesome. I absolutely love what I do. If I sound like I'm complaining, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> Boy, this is like, um, I want to make sure we didn't go too far down a rabbit hole that maybe neither of us <laughs> anticipated, but I'm just so relating to the, the sort of generational differences. Mm. And one thing I've been tuning into, my mom and I have been having these conversations about what work is and what sacrifice is. And, you know, just like she has, she made so many sacrifices for me and for her family and for, 
and and as a result there is a similar energy of like you gotta do what you gotta do work is work right there's that energy and and it's just like i totally honor that and the gift that she gave me was to be able to maybe not have to make that same kind of sacrifice like there's a weird it's almost like I'm going to give you everything I can so that you can flourish. Oh, but that doesn't, don't do that. <laughs> Come back over here. You know, there's sort of this way in which we get inside the story we're in and then we see our kids, you know, so I can imagine you and I probably, you have like five and seven year old, I have a three. And so I'm sure like 20 years from now, we'll be going through the same thing with our kids. We'll be like, what do you mean you don't want to be a coach? And you know, what do you mean you want to do all this stuff, right? It's just so funny. I know. It's the funniest thing. We, Devin and I will often like talk and joke about how our older son is so money focused and money driven and wants to, you know, live in a big house and have a butler. Like, I don't even know where he got this concept. He said he wants a butler to come over with a tray of cookies and feed him. <laughs> and he, and we like joke about how he's going to become this like soulless investment banker. That's like only focused on money. And we're like, you know, obviously both of us being coaches um, and valuing spirituality and depth. And we're like, that's like our biggest nightmare. So yeah, I have to hold that too. It's like, whatever he chooses, whatever path he chooses, my job is to be open and supportive Mm. of his choices. Right. And Mm. like, I I once heard um, my spiritual teacher say that the biggest investment that having children is the biggest investment you'll ever make in your life. And really to be a good parent, you can't expect any return. Wow. Wow. Mm, That's really landing with me. Yeah. There's, there's sort of a way in which parenting becomes an invitation to sort of the ultimate spiritual journey of letting go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are just not little clones of us. They may have some vague resemblances, but actually they are their own unique expressions in the world. And yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. I try to hold like just being a steward to them, you know, mm. just being just, just mm. being like a caretaker to the soul that's passing on into their own, their own journey. Mm. I feel like that connects back to what you're saying about permission. Mm. Like if at our best, we are permission to our children to come into the full expression of whoever they're. Like we're just standing as permission for that. Yeah. I'm going to keep yeah. you safe. I'm going to make sure you don't die. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to make sure you got food in your belly if I can. Mm-hmm. And all you need to do is just, you've got my permission to be you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That we say that a lot in our house. Um, our job is to keep you safe. It's not to keep you happy or it's not to keep you entertained. Right. So like, even that is like, there's so much codependence I see in my clients, right? Everyone's mm. like trying to take care of everyone else's emotional needs and tiptoe around and make sure they're content and happy all the time. My parents did that from a place of love, mm. but it had negative consequences as well. Right. We had to all be happy and okay in every moment. Mm. Right. So what that doesn't allow anger, that doesn't allow sadness, you know? Mm. So then those emotions, you know, can be relegated to the shadow, which creates a whole other host of issues. Yeah, you know, not having permission to feel your feelings. So even that, we're just really conscious of. Like, you feel sad right now. You feel angry. That's you know, this is part of being human. Totally. And I sense there's something in that. And I and I want to make sure I I don't want to sort of uh, misrepresent your work. So I'm going to take a pass at speaking about how I understand it, and then invite you to sort of correct and or deepen in whatever (laughs) ways you feel called to. But 
I sense that's that's a core part of why you're doing what you're doing, which is which is as I experienced like an invitation and permission to women to fully embody and take pleasure in being women and take pleasure in being alive and just sort of let go of whatever social taboos exist around or expectations or double standards or all of the stuff that exists around that gender identity. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's very well said. Yeah, I think at the core of it and what what I, I teach, um, the starting point of all of that is, and my purpose, as I've re-articulated it recently, is to give permission to women to love themselves and give permission to women to love themselves first, even, right? Because as women, we're so conditioned to take care of everyone's needs and everyone's needs before us even, right? Our partners, our parents, our family, our children. And then we fall last and we are depleted at that point. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the truth is that if we take care of ourselves first and we give ourselves that love and that goes into, you know, self-care and pleasures, a big piece of what I talk about as a piece of self-care for women, um, we fill our cups, our cups then overflow and then everyone else around us benefits, right? We're a better version of ourselves. Mm. 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 Yeah. 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 So as you, as you start to really step into this as your invitation to women to sort of say like, I'm standing for you loving yourself first. Mm. How's that like, how's that rippling out in the world? I can imagine that, that, there's both a deep need and longing for someone to say like you you're you're as deserving of this as anyone and also a lot of fear or resistance or just like how i i I hear you but i don't even know what it looks like like what is yeah all of that yes 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 yeah there's definitely uh fear and resistance because they haven't been shown right so they just haven't had the role models they haven't had the models and that's one of the uh, hats I wear, right, is to step in and show them all these crazy ways that I love myself deeply. Um, can even be a little shocking sometimes, right? But it's like gives them permission mm. to go there. So most of us haven't had mothers that have fully loved and owned their bodies or stood in their power, or you know, not you know, might even mean like having equal say in the home. Um, mm or had careers that they were proud of or that they, you know, that were aligned with them, um, with their deeper selves. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of resistance. So, because it just feels uncomfortable. It's just something that they're not used to. So giving yourself love, there's a lot of, um, shame around that as mm-hmm. well, right? There's a lot of shame in, but I don't love myself first. So one of the things I do is I'll give that mantra, a very simple mantra. I love myself. And, um, that can be really triggering to a lot of people. Wow. And for some people, it's, you know, deeply rewarding right away, but for others, they need to practice it. And it's like any practice, right? Like meditation can be really challenging at first for people, um, or they're constantly judging themselves. They're getting distracted and they should be able to do this and they're beating themselves Mm. up about it. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, so same thing with that mantra. I love myself. So it gets more refined. It gets easier. It feels more comfortable the more and more you do it. Mm. And do you see for those for those women who have a hard time with it, is there a quality of just like trusting the process, trusting you, sticking with it, where where that's that part of them that feels like they can't believe it starts to soften and starts to believe it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you use the word trust. So the other mantra I give 
is I trust myself. <laughs> so it's I love myself and I trust myself. Mm, mm. And so there's something that brought them along the, their life journey to find me and to find this work. There was some, de- even though, because I have a few women in my group right now, um, I, could t- I could tell you a little bit more about the group for context, but I have a few women in my group right now who were admitted to me that they were terrified to join. Mm. But there's something in them that knew, you know, I like to say their soul was saying they were ready for this step in evolution. And even though it was scary, they were ready Mm. to go there and confront it. Mm. So I trust myself tapped into that, right? I trust myself Mm. that I'm here. I trust myself that I'm choosing you as my guide in this. Um, Mm. Mm. I trust myself to love myself Mm. as well. So that's a big piece is the self-trust. And that's a huge one that women have been really taught that not to trust ourselves there's so much disempowerment in that right and there there's a lot of um you see this a lot in women this researching and poll taking looking outside of ourselves for the answer before we can trust that we should do this thing mm-hmm. whatever it is like whatever little decision to big decisions in our lives calling everyone we know you know what did you do what did this person do maybe i should read 10 articles about it instead of trusting their intuition trusting that impulse Mm. um needing confirmation so yeah i feel like i got a little off track there but um no i i'm really moved by the so what does it actually look like to trust ourselves i hear you articulating it's like okay are you making a choice to do something even though everything around you part of you is afraid someone else would be like what you're taking that you're joining a woman's group around pleasure we're like what that's weird you know whatever whatever outside sources might say this is not a thing to do. There's some part of you that's like, no, this is the thing. And I don't know why I'm scared, but I just feel it. Yeah. Most of us, I think in general, and, and probably in particular, you, because of these double standards, women have a, a very unique and intense version of this. In many cases are like, hear that voice, like, this is the thing I should do and go, ah, no. <laughs> right. Like that's the opposite of self-trust in a way. Is what I hear you Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes people just aren't ready at that point, right? There's fear, there's resistance, and they might come to me at later times yeah. and say they just weren't there. They weren't ready. Um, but often it's, you know, and I'm sure you see this too as a coach, but often the pain becomes deep enough as well yeah. that it's like, they're just ready yeah. to jump in because, and you know, they've tried X, Y, and Z and X, Y, and Z has not worked. They've read this yeah. book or they've taken this course or worked with this therapist and it hasn't worked so something you know they're just ready to try something that feels a little Mm. more confronting Mm. i want to i want to zoom in on that but before i do i want to just underline the sort of other side of the trust piece which is what you said implicitly is you trust yourself it's like okay this person isn't ready has nothing to do with what i have to offer as a coach that has nothing it's like and they'll be back if they're ready or they won't and I think that's a real, that's another embodiment of self-trust that you're modeling implicitly that I want to just draw out explicitly. Mm-hmm. Cause I know a lot of people who listen to this are, are entrepreneurs and are, or mm-hmm. thinking about it. And there's just this quality of like, you know, we can't, we can't make stuff happen tomorrow, but we can keep inviting, we can keep creating. And sooner or later, if the door is there for someone to walk through, they'll walk through when they're ready. So yeah. just appreciating that you're like anchoring in that trust for yourself too. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes from an abundance mindset rather than a scarcity mindset, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about that a lot as coaches too. So trusting that 
the work will reach the people it needs, that, you know, I will be provided for by the universe, that, you know, I keep doing what speaks to me and calls to me and it will come back to me. Um, so trusting that as well. Mm. Mm. I interviewed another guest that the show isn't, isn't live yet, but he said something to the effect of, if you're really unlucky, you will spend your whole life not in enough pain to face what you need to face. Like basically you'll just be able to keep cruising because the pain never gets bad enough that you actually have to look at the things that your soul wants and needs, but that are scary. Yeah. You know? And so like, I just remembering that, as you say that sometimes people just, we just like, I, it's not, fuck, it's not working anymore. The thing that I've been doing for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it's just not working anymore. Yeah. Or like said another way, um, comfort is the enemy of growth. Yes. Right. That idea. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that, like that, like impulse towards comfort that we all have to varying degrees, which is so intense. I just appreciate it. It's like, Oh, if you're unlucky, you'll never get uncomfortable enough to actually get a chance to do something like this. I know. I know. So um, maybe we can, maybe we can just zoom in even more on, on this question of how you help women really step into that self-love and self-trust and maybe what's important about that for you, for them, for us as a, as a culture, as a society. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I know you're not, you know, you're not working with like, the however many hundred million women there are in the whole country, like you're working with the women who find you and who are ready for you. And my sense is that you have a belief and a trust that that actually has a ripple effect that, that we need more women in general who are just yeah. standing in their power and loving and trusting themselves. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So, so I work with women individually and I work with women in group form and I just launched this group, um, that I call turn on. And I have eight women in the group now. I always intend to keep it intimate. So, you know, maybe the next group will be 10. I don't ever see myself going beyond 12, but keeping it intimate and creating. So the thing that I, so I love the individual work. It's beautiful. And sometimes that's exactly what a woman needs at that moment. Um, but what the group allows for is this container of other women going on a similar journey, mm. right? So there's sisterhood, mm. there's camaraderie. They have um, the option to sign up for an accountability sister, which most of them have opted for um, to check in with, you know, at least once a week or however often they want. And yeah, so I love, I'm loving the group format right now. I'm finding it to be, it's, it's, it feels almost like an accelerator of growth being in the group mm. rather mm. than individually. Just again, this permission thing, Get gaining permission from not just me, but from the other women and seeing what's going on in their lives um, and learning, cross-learning from each other. I mean, I learn from them. They learn from each other. They learn from me, all of mm. it. Mm. Um, yeah, so what I, so I, I, what I do in the group is I go through, it's a series of 12 modules and I go through them in a specific order. And the way it's ordered is that the earlier modules are more about um, creating new habits, letting go of habits that don't serve anymore, mm -hmm. um, and coming to a place more of, what's the word I want to look for? Um, more of like a level 
playing ground as opposed to being like completely depleted, mm. <laughs> which is how a lot mm. of them find me. So getting mm. them up to ground level mm. before we, you know, get them up to like soaring. <laughs> nice. Nice. So that, that's what the beginning piece is about. And that's where, you know, I teach a lot of practices. So I teach a lot of, um, like you asked how to love yourself. So, you know, there are mantras, there's morning practices, there's journaling prompts, um, the morning practice being a huge transformative piece. You know, I don't know if you are a meditator or have meditated, but um, having a six month old son has, has deeply disturbed, uh, deeply, just deeply challenging to my morning practice in terms of timing, but, but in general, like, so I'm learning, I'm leaning into that and learning from that. But in general, yes, I, I totally, if I could just wave a wand for all of my clients around, like, I'd be like, give, here's an hour, an extra hour every morning, just for you. And here are some ways you could fill that hour. You don't have to do it all. You pick one, pick one that's right for you, but give that, give that gift to yourself every morning. It's such a gift. Yeah, absolutely. And so some of my practices are really short, small things because they don't always have that hour or, you know, I give them a lot of different options. So if they have the hour, they can do all the things, right. They can do like visualization, meditation, mantras, gratitudes, um, worship. um, Mm. And if not, they can, you know, when they pass themselves in the mirror, just say, you know, I love you. You're a damn sexy bitch as you walk, you know, pass yourself in the mirror and just give yourself that affirmation, right. That you want to hear from someone else. So that's a big part of the work too, is like, give yourself the love that you want from others because you will never get, I don't know if you know, David data, he talks about this a little bit, but you will, you will never get, um, the love, the exact love quality type of love that you want from others Mm. in its totality, in the way you want it in every moment. Right. So give that to yourself. Mm. And it really, it, it works. Like it really works. Like do the work and it works. Um, So just give the, I train them in that way too. It's like, give yourself that love that you're seeking, Mm. especially with the feminine. Cause the feminine is all what the feminine energy within us and men have feminine energy as well. Mm -hmm. But the fem, you know, as as women, predominantly feminine beings, we're more, we hang out more in the feminine. So as feminine beings, um, we always want more. We always want, we want to be filled up in some way, right? Mm. Um, So more love, more connection, more fullness. Um, So give yourself that Mm. because it is this Mm. like endless hole, right? (laughs) And then if we go into the kind of toxic feminine, it's like always, you know, wanting it and demanding it from others. And then Mm. the neediness comes out, right? That's more of like the wounded feminine this neediness comes out and that's really unattractive to others. Right. And that creates a whole other host of issues and fighting and um, with partners and family and friends. And all yeah, I that. sense that like the, the giving yourself the love in exactly the way you need it is actually then allows for any other love that you get from others to, to actually really be felt and received because now it can land where and how it lands without any expectation that it, that it does something for you. There's no agenda. It's like, wow, my wife loves me. My husband loves me. My partner loves me. Yeah. And it's just just like extra. It's extra. Yeah. Cause you're like, and I love myself. Whether or not they love me, I love myself. Uh Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. 
So, mm, yeah, so you, they're at ground level. Oh, go <laughs> ahead. You're about to <laughs> No, yeah, I was going to. Yeah, so that's right. They're at ground level from some of these practices. Another, you know, I do another whole module on turning off tech. It's called turn off to turn on. Mm. So mm. I could like, we could spend a whole session just talking about that. But, you know, just the addictions of tech and yeah. look at distracting ourselves so that we don't feel our feelings. That's another big piece of the work I talk about is how do we authentically feel our emotions, but there's so much power, like latent power in, in the feminine, in feeling our feelings. And we're taught, especially as women and as men, just different emotions, I would say, but like men are taught, they can't cry. They can't show weakness, right? They can't, that they, they can't be vulnerable. Um, and women are taught they can't feel anger. Mm. Mm. They're going to be a bitch or they're going to be crazy, called crazy. Mm. Um, and there's so much power in accessing our emotions. Um, so part of the turn off to turn on is like, turn off all that distraction, all that bullshit, and then see what's really there. What are you avoiding? Mm. Right. As with any addiction, right. As mm -hmm. with like alcohol or food or any addiction, we are distracting ourselves with that so that we don't feel the uncomfortable feelings, but in the uncomfortable feelings, releasing them is like, not only is it just like a relief in the moment to release it, but it's really empowering after you release it. There's just a sense of calm and peace and, and power that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that comes from, again, like giving permission, giving them permission, showing them how to do it. Um, I teach this practice that I learned from mama Gina, who is one who is like the godmother of this feminine empowerment embodiment practice, you know, work, um, and she teaches this practice called swamping that I just led my women through is it last week. And what swamping is, is it's putting on music that matches your emotional state or that's mm. used to elicit a certain emotion. Mm. So if you're feeling sad, you put on sad music, if you're feeling angry, you put on angry music. Um, or if you want to release those emotions, you put them on that, the, that music on, and then you dance and move to that music and you give yourself permission to release those emotions in the moment and to like get ugly and dirty and messy and turn off the performative aspect that a lot of women do and mm. we're taught right you have to look beautiful right? and this is training from when we're like infants You're so pretty you look so pretty so, so so much of our value comes in our physical mm. appearance and how we look present ourselves so this is all about you know re um relating to expressing ourselves in a different way and the value being in just the pure expression of emotion and the creative expression, mm. what comes mm. up authentically and creatively in that moment for you. Sounds awesome. It's Why is awful. it called swamping? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I know that when she invented it, when, when she came, created it, it was, she was feeling really depressed. And so she put on, she took a garbage bag and ripped holes in the arms and put it on her body and the idea and put on like this dark makeup. And the idea was to have her external world, you know, mimic the internal mm. and that that would help express it out of her. Um, and then she put on the, you know, the sad music. And so I, I don't remember, I don't know if it's like swamp, like, you know, moving through the swamp of your emotions. Mm. I can't mm. answer exactly mm. why. A good it's question. really evocative. <laughs> it also sounds like it could be like, you know, the newest cutting edge TikTok dance or something like that. <laughs> but uh, it's for me, it evokes this just idea of like, 
like a swamp is stagnant. So it's almost like you like are allowed, like you get in that stagnation and then you start to help it move and like flow and open. And yeah, like, I like it. That's a good guess. I like it. There's, there's also just, just to underline, like there's a lot of emerging research that stress ultimately is the result of not allowing our emotional cycles to complete. Absolutely. So like the research is catching up to to Mama Gina here. Like you got to let it through you. Otherwise, it just like accumulates. Absolutely. Yeah. And even, you know, I've seen some stuff recently on it. I know um, Gabor Mate talks about this, about, you know, repressed emotions leading to cancer. Mm. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, there's like a there's a response that happens when we have an emotion. There's a and when we repress the emotion, don't let it complete the cycle. Like what you're talking about, there's a cascade of hormonal releases that happens. Like there are things happening on the cellular level. It's not just like, oh, this feels like shit. There's a reason it feels like shit is there's chemicals being released, Mm. right? Um, So yeah, it's like, what are the consequences of that? Yeah, so my dream is for young girls to be taught these tools from a young age, right? Like Mm. what would the world look like? You know, maybe this is um, where it's headed in a way because I know I'm, not the only one doing this work. I'm learning from some very wise women, but that would be, you know, the biggest gift and blessing. And, and if imagine the stuff could be taught in schools, right? Like we are catching up a bit to the social emotional learning, right? People talk about that now, but what does that mean? Okay. So we're in tune to emotions. We say, you know, you can feel your anger and you can feel your sadness and that's okay. But like, really, how do you really, how do you express it in a way that's healthy and acceptable and that functions, you know, in a school environment or totally of kids. Yeah. It's like almost like our, it's sort of the non-emotional, the kind of cognitive parts of us that, that education has been built around have finally realized like, Oh, we do need to feel emotions. And so then all, but then all we can do with that from a cognitive place is go talk about it. You need to feel your emotions. It's okay to feel angry. Like, what do you mean feel angry? And that's why therapy fails in a lot of instances. Mm. I I mean, I'm a therapist. I believe in therapy and I'm not, and you know, there are amazing therapists out there. So I'm not saying therapy is a crock, but there are sometimes, you know, certain therapists will just, Again, like what you're saying, talk about your emotions. Let's talk about them. Okay. And that's fine because you do need to have that cognitive understanding and acceptance and permission to do that and to go there. But then we need to do it on a visceral level. Mm. Mm. We need to embody it. And that's where that term embodiment practices and you know what I bring into my work. What that means is like feeling it in your body in the moment. Yeah. We so are powerful. such a, a disembodied culture. Yes. We have so much fear, at least in my, my sense. I mean, there's even like a part of me right now that's like, okay, Andy, like be really careful if you bring up any subjects around sex or sensuality or the woman's body, right? Like, you, you know, there's just so so much there we could unpack about how even I, who identify as someone who's really open and accepting and embracing still has a part of me that's like, yeah. Right. And then yeah. to, to, to be in our own bodies, I, maybe you could talk more about that. Like, what is it well, what starts yeah. to happen when you help women start to really get connected to their bodies and the fullness of what that means? Sure. Well, I'm actually going to ask you a question first. Please, yeah, please do. <laughs> Devin and I were talking about this. I mentioned that I was going to be chatting with you today and we were talking about, um, the topic of 
of how talking about sex can be uncomfortable, um, yeah. uncomfortable, right? Because yeah. that's also another, you know, as the modules progress, the last three are much more um, about sex, about sex and our and and our relationships to sex and our body. And um, so he said, "Tell tell Andy," I said to ask him this. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, because we often talk about this this idea, and he's like. Um, what would be more uncomfortable for him and and for everyone who's yeah, really mad, yeah. but what would be more uncomfortable for people is is it to discuss your finances openly like what do you earn mm. what are you what is your debt mm. do you have any student mm. loans mm. what do you have in the bank for savings mm. um and, or to talk about your sex life wow openly oh that's so good <laughs> what's more uncomfortable that's so good for me is finances Mm-hmm. But I can also see, like, I can see both produce. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, that's edgy. That's very, there's a deep cultural taboo around both of those. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's so much shame around sexuality and um, yeah. it's just to me, I know I shared this with you in our brief chat, you know, months ago, but one of my visions, one of my dreams for the world is to be able for, for everyone to be able to speak about sex really open and really casually, like in the way that, you know, maybe we speak about our health, you know, with, with gravity and with, you know, respect, not just like necessarily throwing it out there. If you don't trust the person at all, right. You know, you have to be discerning if you're with people that you trust, but even, even still, even with a group of friends that trust each other, are they really all as adults, like talking about their sex lives vividly and their challenges and, how, you know, how they could learn from each other about what they're struggling with or just share their, what they want to celebrate. Like I just had like the most amazing orgasm in my life, or I just had like an internal orgasm. I've only had clitoral orgasms or I just had anal sex and it was mind blowing. And I thought it was really going to be horrible and hurt or it did really hurt. And you know, what do I do? And do you have any techniques for me and (laughs) whatever, but that's one of my dreams is that people can speak um, very openly about sex and that is yeah. something that we talk about in the group as well i love it i'm really glad thanks Devin, for asking the question <laughs> i think i think anyone who's listening right now there's just a wonderful opportunity to notice how Devin's question landed in you what <laughs> what came up and then also just to notice like as as you start to just wade in hannah and say like yeah what if we lived in a world where we all could talk about about our sex lives the 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 joys and the challenges what might that world actually look like I, I sense, at least I'll just speak for myself in, in my own experience. There's a, there is a part of me that goes like, I don't know if I want to share that with anyone, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, I don't even want to think about what the world would look like because I can't even get over it, you know? So it's like, okay, wow. Now that's telling me maybe there's some work I can do around that discomfort. Because if I just step away from my own discomfort and, and ask that part to relax a bit, I notice that I would much rather live in a world where people feel safe enough to share these kinds of experiences with each other because right now we're not doing any of it and we have like there's like just horrible stories of abuse and violence and repression and like just all of this stuff is there in our in our collective experience anyways it's just put in all of these places where it's treated as like terrible and shameful and awful and and then it becomes terrible and shameful like it's Mm -hmm. like so yeah, I just am really attuned to like if we lived in the kind of world you just described, there'd probably be a lot more joy and a lot less fear and shame and and maybe even violence around this stuff. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And, and pleasure. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the situations you described are, are awful and, you know, uh, and really some of the worst um, where you're talking about you know, things like violence, but even people who have a relatively good life, right? Even mm. people who, mm. I don't know, have a relative, they're, they're, they're pretty successful and, you know, their marriage might even be, you might even be like, oh, they have a great marriage and they have a great relationship. But like, what could it be if we were talking about these things more openly, if they were, we were learning from each other more freely? Yeah. And if there wasn't that sense of shame, if there was a sense of like pride or pleasure in exploring I actually have, this is evoking a memory for me that I'll share because it feels a little edgy and also Ooh, like maybe okay. helpful. It's not, it's not too like, uh, no one, no one would, no one in my, no, it wouldn't implicate anyone else. So like, you know, <laughs> my wife wouldn't be scared for me to share this or anything. So, um, I remember my first exposure to like in an organized way to sexual, to sort of sexuality and intercourse was in a health class mm -hmm. in uh, it was probably early high school or maybe late middle school. And I remember seeing all the, I can't remember what the questions were, but they were questions just about like how reproduction works and how, you know, how, what male genitalia are like and female and that kind of stuff. And I remember um, cheating on it because I didn't want to get any answers wrong. So, um, and then at the end of the class, I was the only one who had a perfect score, which actually attracted all this attention to me. Yeah, backfired. <laughs> it backfired in a big way. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, just connecting to you now, like what was going on for 13 year old Andy there? There's a sort of like weird, impossible sort of pretzel that I was trying to twist myself into of both being an expert on sexuality without having any, ever learned anything about it. The first time I'm learning anything about it is like, here's a really sterile presentation from an adult who, if I had to guess, at least my memory of that adult, they probably hadn't had, had a, a vibrant sex life in a long time, teaching us about like in a very clinical way about these things and then giving us a quiz on it at the end. <laughs> it's like, that was the sum total of my conscious, intentional sexual education as a kid growing up. That was it. And then, of course, I found my way eventually to pornography, which is a whole other kind of can of worms about what it, what it teaches us or doesn't teach us. Yeah, but it's just exactly. like, that was it. Like, it's the it's total opposite of the kind of world that you're describing. I know. It's sad to me. It's really sad. Yeah, yeah it's sad. To, I'm like, I feel, I'm like, oh, Andy, you poor mm -hmm. too. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I don't, I don't know you as a 13-year-old kid, but clearly there was some pressure, implicit or explicit, where you felt like you needed to, you know, get the best grades or, That's you know, right. be the star student. So I'm sure that extended. To I think it was like star path. student, but also to be like the guy, like the, the kid, the, the, like amongst my boyfriends to be the boy ah, who like who knew, knew about, about sex. sex. Right, right, right. And right, I think we right. all kind of wanted to be the boys who knew about sex without none of us like <laughs> knew a shit about sex. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, and I would, I'd be willing to bet too is in that class, that there was no mention of sex and pleasure. No, no. Yeah. Around none of that, that, right? none of that. So that's yeah. where we get the shame. Yes. That's where the shame begins to be embedded, you know, if not earlier, but at that age of like, sex feels good and you're going to want to have it. Right. And you're going to seek it out and, you know, and sure you could teach kids how to be responsible about it, but they're going to do it. Right. So like, why not tell them that it's pleasurable and that that's okay. So we never got permission 
Yeah. And it was okay to gain pleasure from sex. And yeah. That yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is deep. This is pretty deeply. We could trace the histories of these repressions back many centuries oh, uh, across around the right. Like, so there's sort of a legacy burden that we're all carrying, but that women in particular carry that relates to like the woman's body, a woman's body and what she's allowed to do. Like, yeah, just, there's just so much there. It's just a lot, like it just feels like a lot to unpack. Yeah. But what's interesting is that it's so, it's so culturally um, like applied. So thousands of years ago when the goddess was worshiped over Mm. God, right. There was a long period of time where the goddess was worshiped Mm. and uh, I actually just read this whole article recently about um, Purim, the Jewish holiday of Purim just happened um, over the last few days. And that what they actually think that instead of Esther being the heroine of the story who saved the Jews, that, that the origin of Esther was actually Ishtar and Ishtar was the goddess, um, mm. Sumerian goddess of fertility, mm. Mm. Uh, fertility and sex. Um, and that the cookie, the hamantashen that Jews still eat today to honor this holiday is the shape in, in a triangle. And, um, that they say it's a hamantashen because of Haman, who is the, the, the evil um, man in the story who tried to kill all of the Jews. But it doesn't really make sense why you would make a cookie to celebrate the, the villain of the story. So anyway, it was just tracing it back and saying that these were actually found molds. Um, archaeologists found molds that were made to make these kind of baked goods and cookies to honor the goddess Ishtar and that it actually represented her vulva. Wow, that's so cool. Isn't that fascinating? Wow. Um, so yeah, there was a period of time where the goddess was worshipped. My only point is that, you know, we live in a patriarchal society today. It wasn't always. Mm. And now, mm. you know, now any women's pleasure um, and power has been diminished, I think, mm. part because of that. So that's... Do you part, sense, part, though, is there is there like, is there... A, maybe this is too big for our lifetimes. Cause I mean, like even from Sumeria to, to, you know, Judaism, like there's centuries, I don't even know. I, I'm not a historian, but like a lot of time for these pendulums to swing. Are you, are you sensing any of that swing backwards? Uh, yes. you, or at least are you hopeful or optimistic? Yes, I am. I am sensing the swing backwards. It is still like, you know, a very small portion of society. I mean, I am inundated with it, right? So the, right. the women leaders that I look to are immersed in this work and are teaching this work and I'm reading about it all. So there's plenty of women that, you know, authors and speakers and coaches that um, are championing, championing feminism and women's empowerment and women's pleasure. But in the scheme of the world, I'd say it's a fraction, right? I mean, there's parts of the world where... Um, female genital mutilation is incredibly common, right? Yeah. That's that's the norm. So there's a lot, I'd say most people are not living in this place um, mm. and don't have this access to this kind of work and even to get to a place of just safety and security, like in Maslow's hierarchy, just having all the basic needs met is the goal. And that's, mm. I think, the majority of the world. But mm. in the world you and I live in, in the Western world, um, I would say I am noticing just among, you know, peers and social media and that there is a swing and an awakening. I think that women 
you know, that the, that you might've seen this, I have a shirt that I was given a while ago, the future is female, right. You might've heard like low coin coined terms like that about, um, and just the feminism movement in general, right. It's, it's evolved. It's still very much present, if not gaining momentum, even during, you know, in the past year or during pandemic time. Um, I feel like we are going through a shift and an awakening, as a society now and, and that it was expedited through the pandemic. Um, so yeah, I am hopeful. I am mm. hopeful mm. that it's That's growing. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I love, by the way, I meant to comment like on just the wonderful uh, sort of humor of people unknowingly eating Ishtar's, you know, Ishtar, the representation <laughs> of Ishtar's vulva. Yeah. Like just how awesome that is. Um, how hysterical that is. Too. And right? there's and all like, these like really orthodox men. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm hopeful too. I mean, I sense that, and you just sort of just touched on this, but, but maybe in the bit of time we have left, we can kind of open it up a bit more. This idea of energy or identity separate and apart from, or not separate and apart, but just kind of like feminine energy is something that men can have access to. And masculine energy is something that women can have access to and sort of a space where that fluidity doesn't feel like a dissolution because I sense that a lot of people who are kind of anchored in like tradition and I like to think tradition is beautiful. They're afraid that if we have too much fluidity, tradition dissolves with it. And I just like sense that we can have a future state where, where men and women and people across these spectrums of gender and, and biology could step into the fullness of their power and, access these wonderful energies when and how they needed them rather than being sort of forced into these kind of contorted, constricted, constrained versions of, of who they are just because of how they look or where they were born. So I would like love for that to be the world we live in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, um, that evolution comes from education, right? Like so many things Mm -hmm. we need to cognitively understand something before we can embody it. Um, I shouldn't say we need to, but that it's, it's helpful. And that's generally how it happens. It's like, we are introduced to a concept, an idea, we get it in our mind. And then we're like, okay, now we need to bring mm. it into the body and actualize mm. it. So yeah, just this concept. And, you know, there's, I, I think there's a whole course I could run on just the masculine and the feminine energies alone. I just led a few weeks ago, my group, uh, the turn on group through the, the module masculine feminine and I wrote, I write worksheets for every group. So I wrote a ton on it. Um, but I really need like, I think a 12 session program just on masculine and feminine energy or, you know, a six or eight session program, at least there's so much there. And so that education is so important of what is masculine and feminine? What is, what is masculine energy? What is feminine? How much do I have in me? Cause every person's unique, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identification you know, if I might identify as 70% feminine and 30% masculine, you know, and it's about consciously transitioning between the two Mm. and Mm. being aware of what energy you're in, in what moment and what situation calls for a specific type of energy. And then also bringing in awareness of when am I in my wounded feminine and when am I in my wounded masculine versus like the sacred feminine, the sacred masculine. Mm. Is the wounded, is that, I heard you kind of, is that sort of an alternative way of talking what we sometimes refer to as toxic energy? 
Like it's actually sort of, it has roots and wounds. Is that kind of the, the idea there? Yes, exactly. Exactly. It has, it has roots and wounds. It has roots in, you know, again, our like negative conditioning and mm. negative and limiting beliefs that we were taught. Mm. Um, but it's also when we feel like threatened in some way, mm. the wounded can come out, right? So the wounded feminine might be like being uh, manipulating um, or being really like demanding. Um, um, and the so feeling threatened can bring that out right so feeling like maybe feels like uh they're not getting the love they need in that moment Mm. so they're going to manipulate in some way to try to get it Mm. as opposed to standing in the sacred feminine which would be choosing love and opening your heart even though you feel threatened right so that Mm. takes enormous power to do that um, but it is available and accessible to everyone. Mm. Um, so it's mm. choosing, it's choosing love and choosing open heartedness. And again, this idea of that I mentioned that David data talks about of like giving the love that you want to receive. Mm. Mm. So even in that moment where you feel threatened, like, how can I give the love? And of course you have to, you have to be safe. Your physical needs have to be, you have to feel physically safe and secure. I'm not talking about, um, opening your heart and giving love to someone who might hurt you or abuse you in some way. You have to use discernment there. Yeah. But there's a sense what I sense what you're saying is that often what we perceive as threat isn't a threat. And that if we can meet it instead with, instead of meeting it with from our wounded defensive place, if we can meet it from our sacred open-hearted place, that that just sort of can start to transmute the whole situation that we're in and change absolutely. the relationship and change how things move. Absolutely. Yes. 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 It can change the moment in a second, right. It mm. can turn into this whole spiral of like shame and blame and fighting, mm. or it could, it could lead to like open hearted connection, you know, or in the best case scenario, you know, maybe connected, beautiful sex in that moment, maybe it leads to that. Maybe it leads to mm. physical connection. Who knows where it goes. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. We only have a couple minutes left. We're coming up to our time boundary, but I wonder, I want to give you the last word. A part of me is a part of me wants to hear you talk a bit more about, about how you're walking this walk for yourself. And you've sort of already hinted at that, like your morning practices and, you know, but you're in relationship, you have two kids, you're, you're, you're both trying to like run your businesses. Like you're just doing a lot as a, as a person and as a woman and, and so a part of me wants to hear you talk a bit more about how this is all alive for you. Yeah. And I realized that could also just be like a whole separate conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I'll, yeah. I'll just name that, that curiosity about like how it comes to life for you. And then just give you the last word and anything else you feel called to speak or share or invite listeners to, to ponder or experience. I welcome it. Thanks. Yeah. So for me personally, I, this this group and my coaching work in general, a lot of it is born from using my life as a laboratory, right? Mm. So tr- doing the practices that I've trying many different practices and picking the ones that that have worked for me, and then my clients trying them, and you know, choosing those that have worked for them, and a lot of that making it into my group coaching work. Um, so the ones that I you know hold sacred are a daily practice. And what I'll say, because I have two young kids and 
it was very hard when they were little. So I mm. feel your pain about that. And sometimes it would be like a five minute meditation before bed. Yeah. And that's all I could get in, you know, yeah. and when they were really little for a while, I wasn't doing anything because it was really too challenging. So yeah. I get it. And it, you got to kind of, you have to have compassion. That's a big piece mm. of work as well, because we can't be in pleasure. We can't find pleasure in the moment if we are berating ourselves. So <sighs> self-compassion is so key. Um, loving yourself where you are. And, but at this point in my life, I do try to do a daily practice every day, even if, even if I feel like I'm slammed and I can only do, you know, five minutes of sitting, but I really try to do, you know, getting up in the morning, um, in the best case, I have an hour, maybe it's, you know, a half an hour, if I don't have that much time, but I sit down and I do my whole morning practice. So that's meditation. That's saying gratitude. That's, um, honoring the faces of a few different goddesses that I have selected mm -hmm. and that are on my altar. It's another thing I talk about in my group is creating an altar, a sacred devotional space and setting the intention of, of the qualities and characteristics I want to emulate, right? We all need models. So in, in some sense, you know, I might be a model for the women in the group and I need to find models as well. And I have mentors and teachers and, mm -hmm. you know, other coaches that I turn to, but also goddesses. Mm -hmm. and um divine figures um so setting an intention of the characteristics i want to embody that that they represent um and so i do my morning practice and then i also have a calendar up on my mirror my bathroom mirror where i mark down my self care so I try to do one, at least one piece of self-care a day. So if, you know, my morning practice is one thing, I try to do one more in addition to that. But if that's all I got the day and I, I do my morning practice in the morning, that's enough to keep me not, not just at ground level, but above feeling like I'm really filling my cup. Um, so another, you know, there's a ton of different types of self-care that I talk about, but like maybe it's taking a bath. Mm. One day, maybe it's, you know, it's getting exercise, doing yoga, getting outside, hiking in nature, um, having a heart to heart with a friend, mm. being in connection, being in community. Um, so I do try to do at least one, generally two pieces of self-care a day that Love that it. keeps me and you're sort of checking you're like giving yourself a gold star on the calendar or something <laughs> i do it. and i also write down um i also do mark down um when my husband and i have sex and mm. if i've orgasmed or if i've masturbated and i've orgasmed because i consider masturbation a form of self-care as well mm. um and the types of orgasm. So I track all of this and it keeps me motivated seeing it up there. Yeah. And that's the masculine in me. It's like the masculine part. It's like wanting to see the outcome, <laughs> yeah. wanting to see the goal. Show me the data. Back. Show me the exactly. data. Hannah. Show me the data. Exactly. <laughs> so my masculine needs that up there for motivation um, to light my feminine. So cool. Yeah. Um, well, I hope that folks listening, especially our women listening in, are experiencing you as that model and sort of permission for and exemplar for a life where you don't have to cut yourself off from pleasure and joy and the fullness of experience. And uh, I really like 
when I think about the world that I want my kids to grow up in, especially my daughter, it's like, yeah, I, I want her to grow up in a world where she can, can live a life that's right for her mm. without the, without the sort of fear and self self berating and all the stuff that you've just unpacked so beautifully today. So thank mm. you. Anna. That's my wish for your daughter too. Mm. And for our sons as well, right. Yes. To grow up in that world and to support uh. Yeah. their own pleasure and also their feminine right and also the women in their lives yeah all that space for them there's a whole like yeah there's just a whole other yin to this yang to this yin or inverse yeah. side of this coin of like yeah there's there's the way in which as men we're also cut off from so much of this in different mm-hmm. ways and in different and in different times and in different contexts but but yeah we should just all if we are all accessing even 10% more. Absolutely. Well, I'll leave, you, really start to shift. I'll leave you with one thought that I, something I share with my, I share with my men and male and female clients, but I find to be very poignant for men is um, to create an appointment to grieve, mm. especially for men, because they weren't given permission to feel sad and to cry in the same way as mm. women generally were. Mm. Um, so create an appointment to grieve and there might be some specific event that happened that you feel like you haven't fully processed, or it might just be a Mm. lifetime of repressing your sadness that needs to emerge in order to free up that latent energy Mm. that the Mm. emotion, you know, try keeping a lid on things actually takes energy. It takes effort to hold it down, even though it's unconscious. And that when we, express the emotion when we release it there is so much energy freed up and power in that so yeah create an appointment to grieve some time in your schedule create maybe you have a little ritual around it um maybe you put on some sad music maybe you light a candle or you bring some materials or some journaling and you just write um and you allow give yourself permission to feel Mm. here's to permission to feel (laughs) Yeah, and all that it unlocks when we get there. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Hannah. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure. Yeah. If people want to find you out on the interwebs, where should they uh, Where should they go? Yeah, you can find me on my website, hannahramat.com. It's H-A-N-A-R-A-M-A-T.com. And you can check out if you want to reach out for curious about individual coaching work. or my. There's a whole tab on my group coaching work. Turn on. You can check that out there. Interesting. Well, this has been a real pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find The Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach where you can also sign up for my newsletter learn about my transformational coaching work and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings in the meantime I'm wishing you a life of purpose 
power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever. <laughs>